I'm here to start off with a God, a creator, who's furiously in love with us, who has the same need. Who aches for our full presence. Who yearns to be recognized in the mundane and the ordinary as well as the spectacular, in the ocean and the leaves and the flowers. He is everywhere to be found. Amen, you guys? Reading and finding him in the Bible, which is a wonderful way, and bowing your heads and closing your eyes is a wonderful way, but praise God, it's not the only way. So in contemplation, which we did together a bit over the weekend, which just doesn't have to do with the privatized spirituality where it's all me and my lovely relationship with God. He wants a people, right everyone? A bride, a community. Yes, he cares about us specifically, we'll talk more about that, but he wants us and you, and I love your church, love seeing God's movements here. And when it comes to contemplation, I talk about contemplative activism. That it's not, we're not a Mary or we're not a Martha. There's Jesus, he lives within us, it's both, right everyone? And up here you're going to see a keynote that says, true seeing is the heart of spirituality today. Contemplation is learning how to see clearly. Ourselves, God, and one another. And that's a bit what we did over the weekend. At a beautiful time of just looking through fresh lenses at God and one another. And it reminds me just of a real busy season I had in life years ago. And before I go into that, let me say this. True seeing is the heart of spirituality today. Therefore, we need some relational acts or practices to teach us how to see what we need to see and leave the rest behind. But we live in a mass cultural trance that are like veils over our eyes. Right, everybody? The busyness and loudness of the culture we live in keep us from really seeing the eternal, ultimate realities of what matters, which is Christ in us, which is love in you, and us being one together in God. And um, God can most easily be lost by being thought found. I was raised, you guys, in the Mormon church. A Mormon priest before Jesus invaded my life. The guy who trained Donnie and Marie Osmond trained my brothers and I to sing, and I was a keynote speaker or singer and speaker at that point. In the words of Corey Tenboom, there is no pit too deep that God's love is not deeper still. Right, everyone? It's a miracle of the invasion of the Spirit in my life and where he's taking me around the world. But I'm like you. I'm one beggar this morning telling another beggar where to find food. And I wish, traveling the world, that I can tell you I see clearly all the time. But I can give you a story from last week about how I didn't but those aren't nearly as fun to tell as the ones that work. <laughs> I was in Singapore a number of years ago before getting there, leading a monastic community, global community around the world. I allowed myself to get too busy and suddenly realized my perspective of myself and others was getting a kind of a bit selfish. So I needed to do what we did over the weekend to draw away, to be sifted into stillness, to learn to hear the heartbeat of the risen Christ within me with a couple friends. Because God's all about the togetherness of friendship. So I went and I did that. Clearing my vision, stilling my heart, learning to look at God and allowing God to look at me that we're going to practice together in a moment. And so after that, I went from being anal retentive selfish Jeff with a couple bad days to arriving to Singapore 
downtown, busy, mad, loud culture, but such a stillness of heart because I had gone away with the father and friends to pay the price to learn how to see. You hear me, everyone? So I remember walking by a bus station, and now the cluster of people who are on my right, all of a sudden, one woman, completely in my spiritual vision, stood out. Keep in mind, you guys, I was carrying a dozen yellow roses because the YWAM base called me where I was going to be speaking. It says, Jeff, one of our staff's having a birthday today. She loves a dozen yellow roses. If you can grab in the market, we won't have to drive all the way down there and get it. So I'm holding the roses. This woman out of 50 people like jumped out at me, felt the impression and whisper of God say to me, Jeff, take the roses, walk over to her, Give them to her and say this. These are from your Heavenly Father. He misses you. He's lonely for you. He forgives you and he wants you back. Now that wasn't like an awful voice where I was certain it was God. Matter of fact, my first mental narrative and reaction to the, you know, that impression was this. God, that is a bit cheesy <laughs> and could be a bit embarrassing. Dead man can't be offended, folks. Right? And right in that moment, I realized part of me needs to die away, and I just need to do the thing if it's God or not. The only thing I had to lose was my pride. Right, everybody? <laughs> so I take the rose and says, okay, I think this is God. How many of you have that war inside sometimes? Is it just me wanting to do a nice thing for God, or is it really the voice of God? Who struggled with that before? Does anyone have something recently that you're like, I was in a situation where I felt strongly impressed from God, but you, were, you didn't know. Anyone have an example, a short, quick one? It's nice, short, and quick, Larry. What was that? Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yep. I was at the gas station to get gas over in Lesotho, the Gulf Station, and there's this elderly Chinese lady walking along, and I was the same sort of thing as she arrived. And I go, no. Thank you very much. Beautiful, beautiful story. Thank you, Larry. I love Larry, don't you guys? <laughs> I loved you at the retreat, man. I love getting to know you, bud. Thanks. So I looked at her with a rose. I go, here we go. <laughs> so I'm walking towards her. And you can imagine the reaction already on her face. This dude, you know she's thinking, is coming towards me to give me some roses. So I knew I better talk fast and tell her it's from God, you know. So I have the roses. I'm pushing to her. I go, excuse me, miss. God wants you to know today your heavenly father, the one who has a furious, undying love for you that he misses you. And these are from his heart to yours. And he forgives you, miss. And for one moment, 
She stared into the roses with a blank stare on her face. And I was thinking, Jeff, strike out, bud. <laughs> you get A for effort, you know. <laughs> and right after that blank stare, suddenly she dropped her face into the roses and began to sob uncontrollably. And after getting her composure a couple of moments later, she says, I'm sorry, sir, for all that reaction I just had. You just need to understand, when I was a little girl, my dad was my best friend. We did everything together. He took me to work together, to play. He was just, I just was the passion of his heart. Well, he died in a car accident when I was young. And before that, on every birthday, he used to give me a dozen yellow roses. And to my shame, she said, I'm a prostitute here on the streets of Singapore, never thinking God could forgive me or take me back again. I miss my dad. But now I see that God misses me. And she recommitted her life and came home to God today and found her activism and leaves a home in Bangkok for broken women and prostitutes that she's bringing daily back home to God. Amen, you guys? God has something to give to you today. We can't give unless we've received. And daily, his heart of love is for you. I can't live from his word from yesterday. That man is already getting a bit of worms on it. He's so much into an undying, vibrant, passionate relationship with us. Every moment, contemplation is learning to access and receive the passionate love of God now. So when people are around me, hopefully they feel homesick because I'm living at home, right? The John 15 life of abiding in him is not some mystery out there for ultra-spiritual people. It's for every son and daughter of God. God aches for our full presence. We often talk about our passion for the presence of God, which is beautiful. But to me, you can only have so much of that with, without knowing his passion to be with us, our longing to be with him will fade away, right? When someone wants to hang with you and be with you, it's like two lovers in a movie. When there's that eye contact, a connection, the last thing they're thinking is, oh, I'll check with you later and have a little quiet time. No, passion begets passion. And in a moment, we're going to look at a, a movie illustration here. My old profession before doing what I do now is I was a movie critic. Anyone have a favorite movie? You know, I was one of the guys in the audience who would like write about a movie. And um, one we're going to look at in a moment before we do a practice together, it um, reminds me of after I adopted my sons when they were seven and eight out of a difficult family situation, I told a bit of the retreat group over the weekend how Brandon and Pat used to awake in the middle of the night, hear screams in the living room, crawl to the bedroom door, open it up a crack, would see their father dragging their mother around by her hair, punching her across the face, and with blood trickling down the side of her face, in anger, she would push all the family photos onto the floor in the picture frames and crash. Now sharing with them how Brandon would crawl in once his parents went to bed after fighting, glue all the pieces back together again, and set them on the mantle of the fireplace. 
and just shared the whole journey and process of how their mother, to help them escape physical abuse a couple nights later, crawled in, packed their, thing, their things in a backpack, and moved out and lived down the streets for a year and a half before I had the privilege of adopting them. Well, I remember in a season, newly after adopting them, I had Zephaniah 317 opened in my desk in my office. Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is in your midst, is mighty to save. He quiets you with his love. He joys over you with dancing and singing. And I read that verse and thought, God, that sounds like poetic, sentimental jargon, not a living reality in the moment. And I know that's not because of you, but that's because of my busyness. Right, everyone? I go, God, my ears ache to hear your song again. So, in my busyness, right now I pause. Can you please grace me through the portal of grace, a relational act, would you let me hear your song? C.S. Lewis calls it the inner music of our belovedness to God. A music that resembles an earlier music that men are born remembering. I begin to listen in the silence. My two sons, you guys, were playing in the back room. And my sons are all about Animal to Planet and Discovery Channel when they were that age. Because the only, um, those are the only two channels of TV their foster parents let them watch. So when I adopted them, they wanted every critter, be it lizard, be it whatever, as a pet. No pets, you guys, survived my sons. The turtles got hemorrhoids. <laughs> I didn't even know turtles had the butt the hemorrhoids could get out, but they got hemorrhoids. My son Pat actually talked to me and he getting preparation age for the turtles. It doesn't work. I hand it to Pat, I go, dude, you're putting it on his butt. I don't even know where his butt is. <laughs> The only critter that survived my sons was a python snake, appropriately named Monty. So when we got Monty, he became the favorite pet, and in a ministry house of 25 people, one day Monty escaped. I told Pat, dude, you got to find that snake. Everyone was on outreach. I go, we have a window of opportunity. Get your school friends home, and after school today, let's scour the house, you guys. No Monty to be found. We had a baby, you know, three months old on the third floor. I'm like, oh, great. People are going to hate us. We looked and looked. Um, fall came. The first snow arrived. And if anyone has a python snake before, they can live for three months without feeding them. I know that because Brandon and Pat didn't feed them but they need a heat lamp in their cage. The first snow, Brandon is standing outside the door, pointing at this long icicle and going, Dad, you know that's Monty's body hanging from the roof, frozen. Let's pray that God brings him back. We prayed, no Monty. Winter came and went. Had the community over at the house. The sun was beating heavy on the roof of the house. When I had everyone over to eat, we start eating our turkey, and this horrible stench fills the room. Pat in a loud whisper. How many of us listen to whispers? I mean, when somebody whispers, I want, you know, I get quiet and want to hear. He goes, Dad, you know what we're smelling. Go, what? Monty's body. It's thawing in the rafters, isn't it, Dad? And I said, well, I don't know. 
He goes, well, let's pray that he comes back. Well, Easter came, and my sons had never heard the entire Easter story yet. And when I told him the story, Patrick got a little confused. He goes, Dad, I know who rolled the stone away. It was that, that pink bunny, right? <laughs> Not exactly. So once I explained to him, you know, how Jesus was raised from the dead, all of a sudden, just a look of shock, wonder, and excitement hit his face. He goes, Dad, Jesus' body's a lot heavier than Monty's. Surely this Easter God could resurrect him. Can't he? What would you say? No, he can't? Go, sure, let's, let's pray. What else are you going to say as a father? So we prayed. I went to teach him beliefs, and I'll never forget that night of coming home. In the middle of the morning, my bladder was bursting. I go use the restroom, fling the door open, and there is Monty, fatter than ever, coiled around the toilet seat. I scream, Patrick, come here. Patrick runs into the bathroom, throws open the door, and screams for the whole house to hear, he's risen. <laughs> it was the first miracle in Pat's life. I believe it was one. And Monty is still alive and well today. So I am in my office, meditating on the song of Zephaniah. My sons thought I went to her downtown office, when suddenly, in the silence, I begin to hear them sing a song as they're playing with the reptiles. Dad, wherever you are today, may you know that our love for you is stronger than the bite of an alligator. Our love for you is deeper than the throat of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Thank you, Dad, for rescuing us. And would you hear God say to you today, he's proud to have a son like you. And as they sung the song of Zephaniah, the weights and burdens of that moment, in the light of my compromises and busyness, my son, I love you as you are, and not as you should be. And as I look in your eyes this morning, there is a God who wants you to hear the song, to catch the look, to be reminded about how he feels about you. As we hear the song and receive, we have something to give. I think we train people, contemplative activists, for the purpose of when we begin to spiritually see, our doing comes out of our seeing. And in this next slide here, let's read this together. Who we are inside determines what we see what we see determines what we do. Before Jesus did any miracle, as prefaced with the two words, Jesus saw. He wants to train us to be seers before being doers. Right, everybody? It's out of the intimacy of learning how to see, and it's why we went on the retreat together this weekend. Our only real responsibility is to be intimate and make space for grace and those portals of grace we will receive from. And then our doing will become out of what we've seen. Jesus only did what? Who remembers the end? Exactly. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. The count of three we're going to say, I only need to do 
what I see the Father doing. One, two, three. I only need to do what I see the Father doing. So Holy Spirit, would you cleanse the eyes of our hearts. That our activism and mission will come out of our intimacy and our seeing. That we won't feel the pressure of having to do all the time. Break that religiousness in our hearts that makes us feel we got to do something good. And may we catch your eye contact and gaze and teach us how to see. Brennan Manning, an old friend of mine who died, wrote Ragmuffin Gospel Signature of Jesus, taught me a bit about this learning how to see. Tells me, you know when you have a best friend, that they don't even need to tell you how they feel, but their mere expressions in eye contact, you know what they want, what they're going to do. How many of us have a friend like that? Anybody? And he was fighting the Vietnam War with his best friend. Amongst the trenches, he saw a look of shock, of despair on his friend's face across from a ditch. And his friend immediately pointed to him, pointed to the ditch. And because they had such a close relationship, he saw what his friend saw. They jumped off the battlefield into the ditch, breathed a sigh of relief, were safe, looked at his best friend off in the distance, and looked at each other and said, we made it, cool. When suddenly a hand grenade landed in the ditch between him and his best friend. And as he looked into his best friend's eye, his best friend winked his eye with a little corner grin on his mouth and jumped on top of the hand grenade. Brennan lied two hours at the bottom of the ditch with bloody pieces of his friend hanging all over his body. More than being shocked that the hand grenade found him, he was shocked by the love of his friend. That one wink from his eye that says, this I do for you. That one look that says, I love you more than I love myself. Can we catch the look of God this morning? He says, I will lead you by the look of my eye. Intimacy is face-to-face encounter, contemplation with God, so we can see what he's looking at. How many of us need that? Let me see your hands. When the war ended, Brennan moved into his best friend's mom's house because she now was without a son. And Brennan was without a mom because his mom died to cancer a couple months before. So they're hanging out in the kitchen, and Brennan had lost sight of the passion of Jesus in his life. So ended up was drinking a lot. Getting alcoholism was always one of his propensities. So while having a couple too many drinks, living a bit in despair, he looks at his mom, he's calling her mom, and says to her, sometimes I wonder if your son really loved me. Sometimes I wonder. In a voice of rage, she throws down the sponge, walks right over to him, screams into his face, what more could my son have done for you? What more could he have given? Open your eyes, Brennan, and see how he loved you. If you jumped off the hand grenade, I'd have my real son here. How dare you question how he feels about you? The Holy Spirit invaded the kitchen. And Brennan, even amongst his addiction, saw a picture of Jesus' mother standing on Calvary's hill, pointing to her son up on the cross and saying to him, what more could my son have done for you? 
What more could he have done for you? We're going to watch a scene here from Finding Neverland before we have a moment of contemplative prayer. And in this moment, we're going to envision Jesus looking at us. Sound good, you guys? We don't even have to pray, say a word. We don't have to fill the air with words. We can simply allow the God who aches for our full presence to be seen and to look at us and us to look at him. In this scene, to remind you of the story so you understand this, R.A. Barry, the creator of Peter Pan, has befriended this young lad. It's kind of like a mentor to him. This lad is disturbed, kind of disillusioned, has lost faith in his life. And Johnny Depp, the Ari Berry kind of actor who's representing him, here he just lost his mother. So the boy has not only lost his father, but also his mother. So he is talking to the young boy, trying to encourage him, and he asks him to imagine his mother, like in a sense, return to Neverland. And let's listen to the dialogue that's in the scene. Again, here's a, little, a, a young boy deeply hurt because of the passage of his mom, but willing to believe and have hope again, even amongst his pain. So let's listen to his words, and then we're going to have a moment where we do the same. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. Even in our pain, in our brokenness and disillusions, we can still make the choice to believe. Amen? It says in Corinthians, imaginatively behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, and you will be transformed into the same in just a moment, we're going to imaginatively behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. You want to do that, everyone? We're going to imagine Him, and the Holy Spirit is going to inspire our imaginations. We're going to look at Him and allow Him to look at us, because I feel that's all on His heart for us today. And as I lead us in this, let's just close our eyes here for a moment, and with your imagination... I want you to picture all of love right now looking at you and you looking at love. There are over 15 references that talk about seeking the face of Jesus or God. You may not picture a face. It could be just a light. I'm not going to prescribe to you what to imagine, but only say again. Look at love looking at you. You don't need to talk in your mind. Just look as intimate friends, as a sacred son and daughter looks at his father. And in a moment, I'm just going to stop talking and let's allow ourselves to be looked at and to look. Distracting thoughts may come. That's natural and normal. But just say the word Jesus to resent to yourself? We'll pause and do that right now. Imagine Jesus with the eyes of your heart. 